Good evening, brothers and sisters and friends and young people. Welcome to our Bible class this evening, where Brother Lane Rittmine will speak to us on the subject, Woman in the Line of Christ, Ruth. We shall begin by singing hymn 64. Our subject this evening is Woman in the Line of Christ, Ruth. And to introduce that subject, we'll take a reading from Ruth chapter 4. And Brother David Stone will lead us in that reading. Reading with you all, Ruth chapter 4. Then went Boaz up to the gate... And sat him down there, and, behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come out of Come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, But buy it before the inhabit buy it before the inhabitants, and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself. For I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel, concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbour, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Limelech's and all that was Chilion's and Marlon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Marlon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. Yahweh make the woman that is come into thine house, like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephratah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh's, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which Yahweh shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, Yahweh gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. 
And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbours, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Pharaohs. Pharaohs beget Hezron, and Hezron beget Ram, and Ram beget Aminadab, and Aminadab beget Nashon, and Nashon beget Salmon, and Salmon beget Boaz, and Boaz beget Obed, and Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David. Thanks for that reading. We now look forward to hearing about women in the line of Christ, Ruth, from our brother Lane. Thank you, Jonathan, and dear brethren and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth has a very sad beginning and happy ending. I think the more we understand the beginning, the more we can rejoice in the wonderful ending of this book of Ruth, which we have just read with our brother David. We go to the book of Ruth and we look at the first verse of chapter 1. We read, It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And although there was a famine in the whole of the land, we like to concentrate on the famine that must have been in Bethlehem also. And that is a contradiction in terms. There should never be a famine in Bethlehem. It's an impossibility, brethren and sisters, because Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, means the house of bread. How can you have a famine in the house of bread? It's like us coming on a Sunday morning to the table and there's, there's no bread on the table. Or there may be bread on the table and we just don't even think about the sacrifice of Christ, which he made for us. As a spiritual famine can be there as well. The famine in Bethlehem was, and in the whole of the land was probably a punishment by God. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 21, we see in the, day, in the time of David that there was a famine. In the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of Yahweh, and Yahweh answered, it's for Saul and for his house of blood, because he slew the Gibeonites. Now remember when Joshua came into the land, the Gibeonites came to him with those worn clothes and the moldy bags they had, and Joshua made a covenant with them to keep them alive without asking God. But he made an oath by Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, and such an oath can never be broken. They were made hewers of wood and drawers of water unto this day. But Saul, in his misguided zeal, sought to kill the Gibeonites, and God brought a famine for three years in the land. And so when we read in the book of Ruth about a famine in the land, you would think that the hand of God must be in it. This meeting hall, not the meeting hall, but all the members of our ecclesia, we are a house of bread together. And there should be bread and wine found in the house of a wise woman. 
If you go to Proverbs chapter 9, we can see the conditions on which there should be bread in the house. In chapter 9 of Proverbs, we read about wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has killed her beasts. She has mingled her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent forth her maidens. She cries upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanders understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. So this woman, the personification of wisdom, she provides bread and wine in her house. And we have seen the wisdom in the behavior of Tamar and Rahab, the women we studied before, women that looked after their house. And we also, if we keep the doctrine sound, we will be blessed, but if not, then we are like that woman of Zechariah chapter 5 that was brought to Babylon where she belonged. And the following proverb may also apply to us. In Proverbs 6 it says, For by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. The bread in our house on the Sunday morning represents the body of our Lord. But if we eat it unworthily, it becomes just a piece of bread. And we are not spiritually fed by it. If we lose sight of the spiritual meaning, then we also may get a famine like the one mentioned in Amos. If you go to the book of Amos and chapter 8. No, I think I made a mistake here. It is 8 verse 11. Yeah, that's not the one, actually, the verse. I mean, it says... Um, Behold, the days come, says the Edun Yahweh, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of God. It's actually, yeah, this chapter 8, sorry. So, verse 11, that you will send a famine, not of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of Yahweh. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of Yahweh, and shall not find it. And so that famine that caused Elimelech and Naomi to leave the land, they didn't find the bread that could sustain them. And we go back to the book of Ruth. And we see this famine in the land which caused them to leave the house of bread. In chapter 1 and verse 2, we read, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Mahlon and Gilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. What was wrong in Bethlehem? Was there no wisdom left in Bethlehem? Why did this family not stay in Bethlehem and ask God, like David did, why was there a famine in the land? Why didn't they find out? What was the state of the Bethlehem ecclesia for these people to pack up their bags and go? It's so easy, if things go wrong and not to our liking, just to pack up your bags and go, instead of sorting things out and staying in the house of bread. Well, nothing is said about the Ecclesia in Bethlehem, but in Hebrew, all names have a meaning. Naomi means pleasant, 
And we think of Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that pleasantness of the brethren dwelling together should have kept these people in Bethlehem and prevented the disaster happening to this family. Of course, a change had taken place. Naomi was pleasant. That was the meaning of her name in the beginning. By the end of the book, she wants to be called Mara, bitterness. And that pleasantness of the fellowship of the brethren and sisters should never turn in bitterness. The name of the husband was called Elimelech, Eli Melech. It means, my ale is king. Traditionally, Israel acknowledged that God, God was their king. If you go to Exodus chapter 15, where you got this victory song of Moses after they have come through the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was destroyed. In Exodus chapter 15 we read, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto Yahweh, and spake, saying, I will sing unto Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and sound, and will become my salvation. He is my ail, and I'll prepare him an habitation. My father's Elohim, and I'll exalt him. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. And verse 17, he talks about the promise of God. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, Yahweh, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, the sanctuary, O Adam, which thine hands have established. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. So here they had a kingdom provided for them. God himself was their king. If you need further confirmation, we can go to the book of Numbers, where Balaam was caused to prophesy about the king in Israel. If you go to chapter 23, where he had this, this wonderful vision, and he was told to speak the words of God in verse 19, Numbers 23 and 19. It says, Ale is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. Yahweh's Elohim is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Yes, Yahweh was their king, as it also says in the next chapter. Where it says, he shall pour the water out of his buckets, his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his king shall be exalted. So, if the meaning of the name, Elimelech, means, my ale is king, why then did he leave the house of bread? Did he not believe in the power of, in the, power of the God of Israel? But what about his sons? We are told he had two sons. And the meaning of those names probably indicates the weak state of the ecclesia of Bethlehem. Marlon means disease. And you find the same work if you go back again to Exodus chapter 15. We just read a little bit of the song of Moses. But later on, in the same chapter... After they murmured because the waters were bitter. And in verse 25, 
Moses cried unto Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him wood, or a tree, written he had cast into the water, the water he made sweet. There he made him a statue and an ordinance. There he proved him and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of Yahweh thy Elohim, wilt do that which is right in his sight, though give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases, machalot, that's what the name malon means, none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh that healeth thee. He's speaking of a disease which is the result of not hearkening to the voice of Yahweh Elvim, of not doing that which is right in his sight, of not giving ear to his commandments, and not keeping all his statutes. And that, to my mind, indicates the name, the meaning of the name Maglon. This diseased state of the Ecclesia came because they didn't do the things that were right in God's eye. They didn't keep his commandments. And so weakness set in to that Ecclesia. The name of his brother was called Gilean. And you find that word in Deuteronomy chapter 28. When Moses again warned the children of Israel. In chapter 28. Where he pronounces the blessing and the curse. The curse of disobedience. It says in verse 63. It shall come to pass that this Yahweh rejoiced over you to do good. And to multiply you. So Yahweh rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And you shall be plucked from off the land where thou goest to possess it. And Yahweh shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even to the other. And there shall thou serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, wood and stone. And among these nations thou shalt find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But Yahweh shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes, Gileon, failing of eyes and a sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shall have none assurance of thy life. So the names of those two sons were disease, Marlon, and failing or consumption. That's the name of Gileon. And we ask ourselves the question, why did Elimelech have sons like these? Has he not brought them up in the, into the faith that was once delivered unto the saints? Or was he more like Eli and his sons? Remember the setting of the book of Ruth is the period of the judges, when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Although it was only one generation after they came into the land. It shows the importance of fathers educating their children in the truth. It's difficult for mothers to do that on their own. If we don't instruct our children, what is the end going to be? We should think of Abraham, who had 318 young men educated in his house. These men knew the truth, and they were mighty men of valor, able to overcome five armies of the kings of the north. So we should never come into such a weak state of an ecclesia. And then the second question is, why go to Moab to escape a famine? Moab and Ammon had such an awful beginning. Ammon means a people. Moab means from a father. It reminds us of those, the wicked deeds of the daughters of Lot. Moab represents the sinful flesh and wickedness. And what is the result? In leaving the house of bread and going to a place of wickedness, if you go back to the book of Ruth, you see that within 10 years, 
All those three men were dead. In verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ruth, we read, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. They took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years, ten being the number of the Gentiles. And Mahlon and Gilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and of her husband. What a sad situation, brothers and sisters, to come to this. By the way, Mahlon and Gilion may also be a type of the divided kingdom. The kingdom of Israel started so wonderfully with David and Solomon. But soon it was divided into two tribes into Israel and Judah. The death of these two sons may even represent the end of the kingdom, which came first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And then the remnants of the Jews find themselves in exile, like Naomi, a widow in a strange land. But we know that God doesn't forsake his people. He didn't leave Naomi to die also there, because that will be the end of the remnant of the ecclesia of Bethlehem. And in verse 6 of this chapter 1 of Ruth, we read, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law after those ten years, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that Yahweh had visited his people in giving them bread. If you go to Romans chapter 11, we can see the deeper significance of what is happening here in the book of Ruth. Because Naomi represents the remnant of the Jewish people that had been scattered among all nations. We read in verse 5 of Romans 11 that even so at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So we can be sure, brothers and sisters, that there will always be a nation of Israel. If you continue in the chapter 2, verse 23, it says, and they also, that is, Normal Israel, the people living now in the land and elsewhere in the world, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature, talking about the Gentile believers, and were grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, which is the olive tree of Israel, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, like it happened to Elimelech and Marlon and Gilion, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And that came through Ruth. The very similar situation which happened earlier in the book of Deuteronomy. You can see there a very strong parallel with what happened in the book of Ruth. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, Moses addresses the nation. In chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, And the space in which we came from Cadus Barnea until we were come over the brook Zerah, it was thirty and eight years, until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host, as Yahweh swear unto them. For indeed the hand of Yahweh was against them to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. So it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people that Yahweh spake unto me, saying, 
thou art to pass over through Ar, the coast of Moab this day, and be on their way to the Holy Land. So the hand of Yah was against them to destroy them until all the generation was destroyed. And it is exactly what Ruth says. If you go back to Ruth chapter 1, when she came back, And she had talked to her daughters, it says in verse 13, Why would you tarry for them till they were grown? Why would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, it grieves me much for your sakes, for the hand of Yahweh is gone out against me. And so like the, those men that came out of Israel and murmured against Moses and against God in the wilderness were all destroyed, the hand of Yahweh was against them. So the hand of Yahweh was also gone out against Naomi, she says because all her men were dead also. But just like after all those men were dead, they could go into the promised land, so Naomi was now going back to Bethlehem, because she had heard that God had visited them by giving them bread. And don't forget it, almost that family was wiped out. She entreated with Orpah and with Ruth to come along with them, but in verse 14 we read that they lifted up their voice and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and she went back to her family in Moab, that awful country. Orpah means neck and she hardened and stiffened her neck to use a biblical expression. But Ruth expresses her faith. She said in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy Elohim, my Elohim. And before we continue reading, while you keep your finger in this uh, first chapter of Ruth, let's go to Psalm 45. And we can see that the beauty of people that do that described. Because they belong to the bride of Christ. In Psalm 45... In verse 10, it says, Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Why is she all glorious within? Because she was ready to forsake her own people and her father's house. Orpah wasn't ready to do that. She wasn't spiritually mature to understand the promises which God had made to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, which undoubtedly Naomi would have spoken about. She went back, but not Ruth. She was ready to leave everything behind. Now, that may be easy to understand for those that came in to the truth from the outside, but even so, the children of Christadelphian parents must make up their own mind to leave the world behind and to follow Christ. It's a decision they must make on their own. If they have believing parents, then they're more blessed than they perhaps realize. If you go back to Ruth, then the next verse expresses her, her deep faith. She says in verse 17, Where thou diest, 
will I die, and there will I be buried. So she wants to stay with Naomi till the end of her life. But then she says, Yahweh do so to me, and more also. It says in the English, if aught but death part thee and me. But the Hebrew is very different. You see the word if and ought are put in italics. They aren't there in the Hebrew at all. The word but is the Hebrew word ki. And that also has not been translated properly here. If you go, for example, to Exodus chapter 21, you can see how that word is translated. It's a chapter full of ifs. It starts in verse 2. If thou buy a Hebrew servant... But they should have to buy Hebrew servants because if they kept working their own inheritance, then there should be no servants at all. Verse 7, if a man shall his daughter to be a maidservant, well, he should never have to do so. But yet those laws are there. Verse 8, if she please not her master. Verse 9, if he have betrothed her. Verse 10, if he had taken him another wife. And so on. The whole chapter goes on by saying, if this and if that. Verse 13, after somebody had killed a man, if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, those things should, God forbid, never happen. But verse 14, but if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor, and so on. It's if, if, if. And that's exactly the word that is used here in verse 17 uh, of the first chapter of Ruth. And that makes it so powerful what she says, because she said, where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. Yahweh, do so to me, and more also, if death part thee and me. So she believed that even after she would have died, and perhaps buried next to Naomi, death itself would not part them. And so we also, brothers and sisters, we have that same strong faith of Ruth in the resurrection, because that's how death will not part between us and them. Because that faith leads to redemption. It's wonderful to read her words. If death part between thee and me. And then when Naomi saw that, that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. No point arguing with people that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But she believed in the resurrection of the dead and she was wholeheartedly going back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And then in verse 19 we read, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, call me not Naomi. Don't call me pleasantness, but call me Mara, bitterness. For the Almighty, the Shaddai, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and Yahweh brought me home again empty. Why call you me Naomi, seeing Yahweh has testified against me, and the Almighty, the Shaddai, has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Why does she use the word Shaddai? Remember, her husband was called Eli, my ale. Ale means power, but Shaddai means destroyer. The first time it is used, the name of God as Shaddai is in Genesis chapter 17. Let's look at a few instances how the 
name of God is manifested in this chapter, we get an idea of the destroying power of God. Because the word Shaddai means to destroy. It can also mean to nourish. But no nourishment comes before destruction. It says, when Abram was 90 years old and nine, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am El Shaddai, almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I'll make a covenant between me and thee. Which covenant was it? It was the covenant of circumcision. It says there in verse 10, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign of the covenant betwixt me and you. The destruction of the flesh, that is what God wants to destroy. That's how he manifests himself as a destroying power. He destroys the flesh. But if people don't believe and don't cut off the flesh, then in chapter 18, God reveals himself as the destroying power of Sodom and Gomorrah, which cities were overthrown because of their wickedness. And so Naomi felt very strongly here in the first chapter of Ruth, the destroying power of God, because they left the house of bread. Three of her menfolk had died. By the way, Mara means bitter. And the name Mary, the mother of Jesus, some people think that also means bitterness, but that is not true. Uh, Mary comes from Miriam, which means exalted. We knew a girl in England in one of the ecclesias. She was called Mary. She didn't like her name because everybody said that Mary means bitterness. But said, no, it means exalted. Because that's what Mary said. He has put down the mighty from her seat and exalted them of low degree. The mother of Jesus was called Miriam. She was exalted. But this one was bitter. Why? Because she said, Yahweh brought me home again empty. She comes back like the vision in Ezekiel of the dry bones, no flesh on them, no spirit in them at all. She said that the Almighty has testified against me. It was a judgment which was pronounced on this family, the representative of the Bethlehem Ecclesia, and the Shaddai has afflicted me. So, brothers and sisters, if we are in Ecclesia, if there are things we don't like, if we don't feel we are fed, then do something about it. Don't go away to a place of immorality because it will lead to death and not to life. Israel also will be afflicted in the last days because Naomi is a type of that before she's going to be comforted. Because Naomi is going to receive great comfort from God. And that's what happened to Israel as well. If you go to Micah chapter 4. There's a chapter which is about the last days. Because you all look forward to the time. In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the Elohim of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his path. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. It will be the joy of the whole earth when all the nations will go up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. But also for Israel, natural Israel, verse 6, in that day, 
also the last day, says Yahweh, will I assemble her that holdeth. I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And that's what Naomi said. The Almighty has afflicted me. And I'll make her that halted a remnant. And it was cast far off a strong nation. And Yahweh shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And we can see in this book how through the intervention of Gentile Ruth, life again is given to the remnant of Israel. So they will be comforted. Why are we told in these last few words of chapter 1 that they came back in the beginning of the barley harvest? What is the importance about that? Because the whole word of God is pure and purified like seven times. Everything has a meaning. There are two harvests in Israel. First the barley harvest and then we have the wheat harvest. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 23. We see the great significance of these feasts. Let's pick out a few verses. It says in verse 4, These are the feasts of Yahweh, even holy convocations, which he shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is Yahweh's Passover, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What were they to do? It says in verse 10, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye become into the land which I give unto you, and ye shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring not a sheaf, an omer. An omer is a pot of about six pines. An omer of the first fruit of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the omer before Yahweh to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Shabbat, the priest shall wave it. That's a feast of Passover. When the very first ripe barley was gathered together and ground into fine um, meal and put in an omer. And it was lifted up on the first day of the week. Christ is our Passover. And he was lifted up on the first day of the week. But then the barley harvest, which has just started, continues until you come to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, until the Feast of Pentecost, in verse 16. Verse 15. You shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the omen of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days. You shall offer a new meal offering unto Yahweh. You shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves, those are barley loaves, of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour, bacon with leaven, they are the first fruits unto Yahweh. And that represents the first resurrection. All the believers, two loaves, Jew and Gentile, that are going to be lifted up on that feast of Pentecost. It says in James that we are a kind of first fruits unto Yahweh. And at the end, from verse 34 onwards, then we have the feast of tabernacles, which is a type of the kingdom. So if they came back in the beginning of the barley harvest, then we are talking about a time when after Christ had died and the gospel was being preached. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, we can see the same threefold division. We have Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we can see the meaning of it. It says in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, Passover, the beginning of the barley harvest. After a day that are Christ, it is coming, Pentecost, when the barley harvest is all gathered in. And then comes the end, the Feast of Tabernacles, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So in the beginning of the barley harvest, Ruth came back. Because the Gentiles were called right from the beginning in the book of Acts. What was she doing in that time, in chapter 2 of Ruth? We introduced to Boaz. In verse 2 it says, that Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hapor had happened to her to light on a part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And when he is introduced to her by the reapers, he says in verse 8, then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. And so the Gentiles are brought in into the hope of Israel. We've got only one field, brethren and sisters, where we can glean. That's the field of Boaz, a type of the Redeemer. We only glean that we can find in the word of truth. The gleaning itself, of course, is a wonderful experience, uh, quite unique among all other nations. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. In Deuteronomy 24 and verse 19 it says, when thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot the sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, and for the fatherless, and for the widow, for Ruth, that Yahweh thy Elvi may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou bidst thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the strangers, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gettest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, and thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, therefore I command thee to do this thing. So God looked after the fatherless, the strangers, and the widow, and that's why she was gleaning, and that's why they left her glean. It's quite interesting, I was, when I was in the kibbutz in 1967, or a bit later, uh, I worked in an orchard of apples, and the kibbutz wanted to put this into practice. So after we'd done one or two pickings, there were still some apples left on the trees. And the kibbutz said, well, we would like to practice this law. So the poor, there was a village nearby, was quite poor, that the people could come in with a basket and fill it and have some fruit on the table. And so they left the gates open. And it went fine for one or two years. But then people heard about it, and they brought in trucks and big sacks, and they picked as much as they could and sold it on the market. And the fourth year they came and they climbed the trees, they broke trees and they broke the branches to get the last little apple off. The whole orchard was in a mess. So the kids couldn't put it to practice again. See, God's law is a wonderful law, but both parties must respect one another. 
So they still try to practice it today, but through the greediness of men, it cannot be done anymore. We also, we get our food from the one source, which is the scriptures. Like the children of Israel, get it the manna. We need to get our food now, like Ruth did. For us, on the seventh day, like there was no manna, there won't be any food, spiritual food for us to gather anymore. We need to gather it now. We can't have a second chance in the kingdom. Do you remember when they gathered the manna, how they did it in Exodus chapter 6? The same word gleaning is used there. In Exodus 16, and verse 4, we then said, Yahweh unto Moses, Behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. Remember, Bethlehem is the house of bread. And the people shall go out and gather, or glean, it's the same word, glean a certain rate every day, that I may prove them where they will walk in my law or no. And we can see how they did it in verse 15. When the children of Israel saw it, they said, one to another, manna what is this now? They called it manna, for they wished not what it was. Ma is what, and na is now. What is this now? They couldn't recognize it. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is the thing which Yahweh has commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating. An omer, Remember the same measure of Passover, an omer for a man, according to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tent. And so the children of Israel did so and gleaned some more and some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And some people can gather an awful lot, some only a little. You put on a big heap and everybody gets an omer. We just read it recently, didn't we, uh, in the book of uh, Corinthians, where we also need to share one another and the gift that was prepared, that was given for the needy, which represented the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. How much did she glean? In chapter 2 and verse 17 of Ruth, she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. But the last verse in Exodus 16 says that an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. She get it ten times as much as is necessary. She wants to look after Naomi and look after the future as well. It's not the same as gathering the manna which came every day. An omer represents Christ. And an ephah represents the ecclesia. So she gathered the ecclesia together as it were. You remember in Zechariah chapter 5 we are told what is this? It's an ephah that goes forth, that false woman in that ephah was that lid on top of it, that was brought to Shinar, to Babylon. This is their resemblance throughout all the earth. And she gleaned in verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, She kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, because the end of the barley harvest is the beginning of the wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So all that time she was gleaning and providing food for her mother-in-law. And then her mother-in-law in chapter 3 uh, gave her guidance. She said in chapter 3 and verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my, mother, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? 
Now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he be the most barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee. Get thee down to the floor, and make thyself not known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And so she did. And in verse 8, it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself and behold, a woman at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed art thou of Yahweh, my daughter, for thou showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people does know that thou art a virtuous woman. It's the only woman, real woman in the Bible, that's called a virtuous woman. We can study chapter 31 of the Proverbs and think, well, this kind of an ideal woman, the only woman in the Bible that is called a virtuous woman, a woman of valor. That was Ruth. And so he was going to redeem her. But in verse 12 it says, It is true that I am a near kinsman, howbeit there is one that is nearer than I. And so he had, she had to tarry. And in the morning he would let her know what she was going to do. But before she left, he gave her, in verse 15, he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, she measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. Six measures of barley is two ephahs. It represents the cleaves of both Jew and Gentile. Put there in the veil of Ruth. For she said in verse 17, he said to her, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Remember what Naomi said? What Naomi said in the beginning? I went away full, but I came again empty. But Boaz fills her lap, as it were, with two ephahs of barley. And she had to sit still until she would know how the matter will fall. Because there was another kinsman that was nearer. See, Ruth was a Gentile, and her saviour should have been a Gentile saviour, not a Jewish saviour. What was the whole idea of, it, of this? The idea was, as we read in chapter 4 and verse 5, when Boaz had to encountered the other redeemer that was a nearer kinsman than he himself. And in verse 5 he said, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must also buy it of Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And that was the task of a redeemer, to raise up the name on their inheritance by redemption. Now, redemption means bringing a sacrifice. The other kinsman was not willing to bring a sacrifice. But we've already come across this before, brothers and sisters. The raising seed, the name of the dead, upon his inheritance. And we need to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Because the same happened in the family of Tamar. In Deuteronomy chapter 25... We read from verse 5. It's as if bread dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child. 
The wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of her husband's brother unto her. It shall be that the firstborn which she bears shall succeed in the name of his brother which was dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. Remember when God had killed Ur, the first husband of Tamar? Then Judah told Onan to go in unto her to fulfill this particular law called the Leverite marriage. But in verse 7 it says, If the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. If he stands with and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that has his shoe loosed. So in chapter 4, of Ruth, if you go back, we read there that Boaz went up to the gate and set him down there, and behold, that kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. He said, How such a one, turn aside, sit down. He took, in verse 2, ten men of the elders of the city, sit down here, and so they sat down. So Boaz said to the kinsman, Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. If thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem beside thee, and I after thee. They said, I will redeem it. But the kinsman said, or the boa said, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must also buy it of Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And then he said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. He probably had no sons. He may have been an old man. If you only got one son, then that son gets the inheritance of Elimelech, and he would lose his own inheritance. To be a redeemer means bringing a sacrifice. And this redeemer was not prepared to do it. And so... Like we just read in Deuteronomy, verse 7, this was the manner in former time in Israel, concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto him, to Boaz, buy it for thee. So he, that's the kinsman, drew off his shoe. It's, it's a wonderful thing because that law is still practiced in Israel. Uh, when we first... We were married, Catherine. Well, I've never been married a second time, but when we got married, when we lived, we rented the house from a, a couple, a Jewish couple, that came from Yugoslavia. They're both survivors of the Auschwitz uh, Holocaust camp, and they were liberated, went back to their village in Yugoslavia. They never met each other before. They both found that their house had been bombed, the family destroyed. They were sole survivors, and that's when they met. Just a young man and a young woman. And they decided to go to Israel. They walked for 3,000 kilometers through over Russia and through the north over Lebanon and came into the land. And they established a family there. We knew them well for about two years. We rented it, uh, one of their houses. They both had a number tattooed on their arm. And they eventually had two sons. 
and his sons uh, grew up. And the oldest boy had a girlfriend and he got married. So it was a great ceremony and he got married, the first boy of these Holocaust survivors, and six months later he died in a road accident. So that was pretty sad. But the younger brother had a girlfriend and eventually he wanted to get married to his girlfriend. Now all marriages are done before the rabbinate. You can't just marry anywhere else, you must go to the rabbis who perform the marriage. And he said to him, you can't marry your girlfriend, you must marry your a sister-in-law, because you must raise up seed for your brother's name. I said, I don't want to do it, I want to marry my girlfriend. And now that widow said, well, I don't want to marry me, I'm quite happy for him to marry his girlfriend. <laughs> but he had to take off his shoes, and she had to spit in his face. She didn't like doing so, a little dribble on his cheek, but they still performed that. So if you don't redeem, then you need to take off your shoe. So the other kinsmen, drew off his shoe, but Boaz kept his shoe on because he was the redeemer. So there's an important law, and it may shed some light, say, on a few instances in the Bible where people had to draw off their shoe. If you go to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus 3, where Moses saw the burning bush, and in verse 3, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Take off your shoes. If you take off your shoes, you are not the Redeemer. You have to acknowledge that Yahweh is the Redeemer. And Moses was only a type of the Redeemer. If you go to Joshua, chapter 5, a very similar thing happened to Joshua. Another great type of the true Redeemer. Can you imagine when he was near Jericho, just before Jericho was captured, in chapter 5 of Joshua, and verse 13? It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of Yahweh am I now come. Can you imagine the commander-in-chief of God's army coming down to talk to Joshua? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What says my Lord unto his servant? And all he said was this, The captain of Yahweh shows unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. For the place where thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And the angel left. Because just coming down all the way to tell somebody, take your shoes off. But Joshua would have understood. You take your shoes off, you are not the Redeemer. This captain of Yahweh's host, he was the Redeemer. God, he is the Redeemer. And Jesus Christ, through the power of God. And these men like Moses and like Joshua were only types of the great Redeemer. They could do nothing by their own power. God is the Redeemer. Therefore, both Moses and Joshua, great types of the Redeemer, had to take off their shoes. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1, to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. We get a very similar incident. When John the Baptist met Jesus, in verse, chapter 1, verse 26, 
He was answering the Pharisees in verse 25 when they asked him and said to him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I'm not worthy to unloose. John the Baptist was in no position to tell Jesus, Take your shoes off. Jesus was the Redeemer, and he kept his shoe on. And so Boaz kept his shoe on, and he became the Redeemer. So if we go back to this chapter 4. Then Boaz, who may have found it difficult to find a wife, being the son of Rahab, a former harlot, he also was obviously an older man, because he said to Ruth that she didn't go after the young man. Boaz means in strength. Was the names of the pillars in Solomon's temple. In verse 10 of chapter 4, he said, Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Mahlon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses today. What a wonderful thing. And then the people that were in the gate, in verse 11, say, We are witnesses. And then they say, Yah, make the woman that is coming to the house like Rachel and Leah, which stood it build the house of Israel. Do thou worthily, be thou a virtuous man in Ephrata, be thou famous in Bethlehem. And, remember the connection we had earlier with Tamar and Rahab, let thy house be like the house of Phares, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which Yahweh shall give thee of this young woman. So now we get that connection with Phares, do you remember Tamar had two sons, twins. The first took out his hand. He got a scarlet thread wound round his little wrist. But then he pulled back and Phares broke forth. But the scarlet thread, the color of blood, the type of the covenant of God through the blood of Jesus Christ stayed with Zerah for about five generations until Achan gave it to Rahab. Now Rahab married Salmon. If you go to verse 18 of this chapter, there's a wonderful thing happening here. Because it says, these are the generations of Phares, not Zerah, because that they lost the scarlet thread with Achan. Phares beget Hezron, Hezron beget Ram, Ram beget Aminadab, Aminadab beget Nachshon, Nachshon beget Salmon. Salmon married Rahab. So now the scarlet thread went from the house of Zerah to the house of Phares. And Salmon begat Boaz, the redeemer of Ruth. And they begat Obed. Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. So that scarlet thread went from one of the two sons to the other one. From the Jews to the Gentiles. And even King Solomon speaks about that scarlet thread. The lips of the bride. So when we drink the wine, brethren and sisters, the antitype of the scarlet thread, let them remember that Christ has purchased us with his blood. We are all called to be holy, to lead separate lives. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and just think of this whole story of Ruth, starting at Tamar and Rahab, in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says in verse 15, As he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. 
Therefore, we also need to take our shoes off. We are no redeemers at all. We need a redeemer. And if thou, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges every man according to their work, think of the work of Tamar, of Rahab, and of Ruth, gave great examples of women of faith, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, remember Tamar had a pledge, Rahab had a scarlet thread, but Ruth had a redeemer. We are not redeemed with corruptible things, silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood, like the scarlet thread of Christ. And Boaz was the redeemer, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, that was the faith of Ruth. Death shall not separate between her and Naomi, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Now we mustn't forget Naomi in this whole story, because in chapter 4 of Ruth, we read in verse 13 that Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. He went in unto her, and Yahweh gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh, which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, is better to thee than seven sons, which has borne him. Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, became a nurse unto it. She was the grandmother. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, Boaz is a type of Christ. Ruth is a type of the believers who are mainly Gentile believers. But the result of that union will be a son. For Naomi, the remnant of Israel, will be kept alive through their help, through Boaz and Ruth. Because that boy Naomi... That boy Obed, and his name means a servant, was given to Naomi, to that old remnant of Israel. Boaz, after recommending the faith of Ruth, said in chapter 2, if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 12, or verse 11 for connection, and Boaz answered and said unto her, It has fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, not come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Yahweh recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of Yahweh Elohim of Israel, unto whose wings thou art come to trust. So she has been given that wonderful full reward and helping Naomi as well. If you go to the second epistle of John. It says in verse 5, I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. The walking is so important. For many deceivers are entered into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves or examine yourselves that we lose not those things which we have brought, but that we receive a full reward. 
that full reward was promised to Ruth because she had a great belief in the resurrection and she was provided with a redeemer and she married that redeemer. And so if you follow in her footsteps, if we are not afraid to show the same faith as Gentile Ruth did, then we can look forward to the marriage, lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'd like to conclude this Revelation chapter 19, where it says in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And Boaz was a type of that Lamb, and his wife, Ruth, has made herself ready, and we've seen how much she had done to prepare herself to become the bride of the Redeemer. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he says unto me, These are the true sayings of God. We thank our brother Lane very much for his study this evening on Ruth. He's given us a lot to think about, both exposition and also exhortation. We have a few minutes now for discussion or for questions. Proverbs, Proverbs 31. You mentioned tonight that the only particular person who's nominated as a virtuous woman is Ruth. Chapter 3, verse 12. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So that that uh, expression must surely have come into the family as, as a progenitor that was virtuous or was stuck with her. It's always uh, intrigued me to go through Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 to 31 which is about a virtuous woman. And see, all the little things there that are just so much almost certain uh, what Ruth was really like. Because uh, the designation is adheres to her name. And Solomon, for Solomon, is his, his great-great-grandmother. So it would be the most apt thing that he write in this chapter of Proverbs would be writing it about someone who was authentically a virtuous woman. She did many of those things. And if you just go down through the chapters, just one thing after another, not all of it was mentioned in the book, the story of Ruth, but so many things in the story of Ruth are so kindred you know, to the things that we read here. Favour is deceitful and beauty and uh, Beauty is vain, verse 30, but a woman that feareth Yahweh, she shall be praised. She openeth her mouth, verse 26, with wisdom in her tongues, the law of kindness. And so it goes on all through that chapter. She's industrious. Proverbs 31 is all about that. So I, I like to think that. Uh, there was just a few generations back an outstanding example upon which uh, this lovely chapter was based. Mm. Well, we certainly recognise, for instance, uh, 
She rises also while it is yet night and gives food to her household. She went out to glean and brought food back to, um, to Naomi. Um, a virtuous woman, uh, and he was slightly different. It's a woman of valor. It's Eshet Chayel. And from verse 10 to the end, uh, all the verses set in alphabetical order. So verse 10 starts with an Aleph. And the last verse ends with the Taf, the last letter of the alphabet. Kathleen has got this hang up in the kitchen, <laughs> all in Hebrew, uh, written out. So she knows it by heart, because that's the woman that all our sisters want to be. But a woman of Vale is an Eshet Chayel. And Chayel is the modern Hebrew word for a soldier. So she was not only a good housewife, she was also a wise woman, and she knew how to look after her household. She's a wonderful woman indeed. Blessed be thou, Yahweh, my daughter, says Boaz, for thou hast showed more kindness, and that's the same way to kiss it, in the latter end than at the beginning. You know, there's nothing said about uh, David's mother. She remains unknown. Nothing said. And yet there is this said of, of a woman in David's lineage, and she was absolutely glorious person. So she may well have become uh, an oft-referred person in David's lineage to someone absolutely outstanding. An amazing person that came from outside and showed the qualities, the truest of Israelites. In fact, one of the lovely things is to go through the roof and just pick up the little bits of, you might say, gleanings of grace that are in the book. They're all over the place. Just very special behaviour. Beautiful behaviour in the midst of an apostasy, which is all the more relevant to us, isn't it? We live in a harsh world, callous world, arrogant world, selfish world, greedy world, where every kindness and thoughtfulness has almost been trodden in the dust day by day. And yet in this story, uh, whilst Israel was in a fairly similar state of the Apostasy, the times of the judges, when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Yet there was in this little ecclesial setting here, dear brothers and sisters, there was a lovely environment in which people in their daily life were living out the truth, graciously and faithfully, despite the prevailing trends. That's a, that's a current thing, isn't it? We don't have to go down. Brother Lane, I don't know whether I'm right, but there seems to be a little parable here with Naomi as a representative of Israel out of the flesh. And it's quite significant that uh, she says in verse 21 of chapter 1, And I went out full, and Yahweh has brought me home again empty. Has brought me home again. That, that word occurs 11 times in that chapter. And... Uh, it occurs uh, two or three other times after that, but it's found again in verse 15 of chapter 4. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. And it, it just uh, appeals to me that we've got Naomi in the land today. Him, the Redeemer is going to 
marry a Gentile and restore favour to the, to the uh, children of Israel, to Naomi. And you've got this interesting prophecy in Isaiah 49, where in verse 20, he says, The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath begotten me these? Seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro. And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where have they come? Have they been? Thus said that Yahweh, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters, and shall be carried upon their shoulders, and uh, etc. So we've got a very gracious to use the Gentiles to restore the Jews again to the land. And that's what you'll see in the near future. And perhaps Elimelech also, uh, and the husband, would have told them the truth. Would have told them why they were in Bethlehem. Uh, if you think of Rahab, she heard all what Yahweh had done unto Israel, bringing them out of Egypt and through the desert, and how all the nations were terrified. And she would undoubtedly have spoken about uh, the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of the resurrection of the dead, and that's what she says. The statement of her faith is so powerful that even death shall not part between thee and me. So it was her hope in the resurrection, the hope of Israel, as the Apostle Paul calls it in, in the book of Acts, that made her absolutely determined to go back with Naomi to the land and live there. Forsake all corrupt Moab behind, leave her father and her mother, her religion, her family, and go for the hope of Israel. That's what she expressed in that verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. That was the motivating force in her life. And to be redeemed eventually, although she didn't know that at a particular point, but whoever believes in the resurrection will be redeemed, like Ruth was redeemed, whether you're Gentile or Jew. So the faith in the resurrection, as I read in verse 17, that was the motivating force in her life, I believe. Yes. So was Chilling as well. And Elimelech, perhaps the same because he, he fled when the guy was tough. There was something very precious about Naomi, wasn't there? She, she just wrapped her arms around that uh, woman and she could not let her go. I just think that uh, that's encouraging to, uh, to our sisters who may find people in the world that, that a profoundly faithful woman is an exceptionally beautiful thing. There are people today who sometimes come across a, a sister like that, and because she's living what she's saying, they come to the truth. It's very encouraging. We have friends, and uh, our sisters can play a role in the, the 
bring your friends into the truth. It's not just a brother's word. Or if I was in the same situation, isn't it? Yeah. And she turned back. She turned back. She didn't want it. So you can't bring them all into the truth. You can preach the truth like nobody must have known. And Ruth obeyed and believed and came to the truth. Or had the same opportunity to the same household she was. But she just rejected the truth and went back to what she came from. Sad, isn't it? The truth is a woman who would have faith. Yeah,